Last Friday, I made a 24-hour trip to Boston. Galind was on business, and I went to carry her bag and to see a city I'd wanted to visit for as long as I've been in the country. I was familiar with the original Boston, the one in Old England. It is on a geographical feature called the Fens, which is as flat as a pancake and about as interesting. There aren't even many trees. I used to live near there in a town called Peterborough. I was ordained in Peterborough Cathedral, but that is probably the least boring event that has ever occurred in the town for its 1900-year history. On the outskirts of Peterborough, on all the thoroughfares entering the town, there are signs proclaiming a welcome uh, to drivers and proudly trumpeting several European cities that have had the misfortune of being twinned with it. Some wit has defaced one of these signs. Uh, They've crossed out twinned with some romantic-sounding French and Italian places, and it now says, twinned with the moon, there's no atmosphere. (laughs) So, the new Boston, the young Boston, was bound to be more fun than the old one, even if I was sure I'd have to endure vivid references to the British losing some sort of war or something. I didn't really get it. One of the sights I was most eager to see was the trees, which I'd been told are spectacular at this time of year in New England. And sure enough, the short flight, thousands of feet over wooded landscape, was beautiful beyond words. It's sort of tragic that in less than a month, these leaves will make their brief, silent death spiral from their glorious perches to the graveyard of the borough's mulch facility. (laughs) If only God had designed leaves that turned to their intoxicating golds and rich burgundies in October and then just stayed there, attached to their source of life all winter. Then, by some miracle that only God could design, they would be transformed to green again in the wakening of creation next spring. I think the world would be a much more cheerful place. These gorgeous leaves would journey with us through the old age of November and the mortality of December. They would stay with us past Christmas and on into the deep sleep of January, the coma of February. They would cheer us with their extravagant textures when the rivers freeze and the blizzards blow. They would remind us of the promise that joy will return, that even now in its snow-covered coffin, life rests and waits, biding its time until the creator of all things breathes the warmth of resurrection into the corpse of his creation. If only. But who are we kidding? Such trees don't exist. Trees that have large, beautiful leaves lose them. The golds and reds are death throes. Let's not get sentimental. Let's remain rooted in reality. Let's not dream. Let's not wonder. Let's not imagine the impossible or beg God to bring it to birth. 
Let's not be excited, ignited this morning by the spark of God's word. Let's not read Psalm 1 or read it on the board by the tree on your way into and out of church. Happy are they who have not walked in the counsel of the wicked, nor lingered in the way of sinners, nor sat in the seats of the scornful. Their delight is in the law of the Lord. They are like trees planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in due season, with leaves that do not wither. Everything they do shall prosper. Yes, that. Let's not read that. Let's not believe in miracles or in the God who does infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. No one knows who wrote Psalm 1, but I think we can guess what he was looking at when he picked up his pen and started dreaming. There he is, the poet, sitting on a riverbank, dangling his feet in the water, a cooling foot spa on a hot, dusty day, and across from where he's sitting on the other bank is a tree a majestic giant in full leaf and with fruit large and ripe and hanging tantalizingly close. Can you feel the merciful shade of the leaves sheltering him from the Mediterranean sun? Can you taste the fruit, soft, juicy, sweet, sumptuous beyond the imagination of the greatest confectionery chef? The righteous person says the poet, is like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruits in due season with leaves that do not wither. They bear fruits at the right time, but their leaves don't wither. Leaves that don't age and die, but also fruit-bearing. I'm not going to challenge you to name an evergreen that bears edible fruit, but according to Wikipedia, they do exist. The avocado is one. Did you know that? Uh, The lychee is another. But it's likely our dreamer poet had never come across either of those. But he'd heard of olives. He'd known them since his birth. He'd eaten them at meals. He'd watched his mother cook with their oil. It's likely he'd heard that Israel's kings were anointed with the olive's oil at their coronations. And he'd certainly heard the story of Noah's Ark and how an olive branch in the mouth of the dove had been the sign for the receding waters, the end of disaster and the beginning of a reign of peace between God and people. It's even possible he knew someone who had been anointed with olive oil when they were sick as a sign of God's healing presence in their time of suffering. Yes, to our dreamer poet, the olive is not just an evergreen tree that produced edible fruit, but a symbol, a sacrament of hope, new starts, peace and healing. The righteous person says the dreamer poet, is like a tree, an olive tree, planted by streams of water, bearing fruits in due season, with leaves that do not wither. And this is our calling. It's why we were made. 
It's why God took a tiny seed, planted it, nurtured it, and watched it grow into the mature specimen of beauty and fruitfulness called you. We are God's olive trees in this hurting and alienated world. Peacemakers, the givers of hope to people in despair, the heralds of new starts to those who feel shame and guilt and to those who survey the burnt-out remains of their dreams, their aspirations or their relationships. The bringers of healing to the broken-hearted, release to those held captive by destructive habits, self-defeating thinking and behaviours that cause them and others needless pain. Here, in the picture of the olive, there is our purpose for being alive, our joyful duty, our high privilege as co-workers with God. If you are breathing this morning, this is why. To be the healing, peacemaking, teller of good news to those in your world. The word of the Lord to us today is this. Be the tree. A while ago in Pennsylvania, I lost five giants. Not the kind that say fee-fi-fo-farm, although that kind does smell the blood of Englishmen, and so it's always a relief to rid the world of one of those. <laughs> no, these were gentle giants. They didn't galump through the countryside, swinging clubs and descending beanstalks. Truth be told, they weren't the giantest of giants. They were only 25 feet tall and only 30 years old. That's what their rings told me, because giants have rings that talk. But giants don't talk as loudly as the technology that gives us lights and heat and entertainment. And so, because my giants threatened to damage some electric cables, they had to go, even though it would still be several years before any of them got within touching distance of the cables. I guess it made economic sense to destroy them now while the foresters were in my neighbourhood. Efficiency required it. There was no rite of passage to mark their departure from God's earth. No funeral was conducted with teary family and mourning community. Just a leaflet through my door, a courtesy phone call, and that was it. I came home one day and my giants were gone. I don't even know where the bodies were taken or what use they were put to. I read on Wikipedia that hemlocks, for that is what they were, make good pulp which can become paper. Knowledge, wisdom, art. That would be a good end. To be reborn as the book that educates a child who grows up to invent a cure for cancer or develop a plant that brings food security to the entire world or becomes the canvas for a breathtaking painting or a manuscript for inspiring music. Maybe the tissue that dries the eyes of the broken hearted or the napkin on which is written the great love song. Then my giants would not have died in vain. Then they would be the seeds of new birth. 
Hemlocks don't bear fruit, but their dead bodies might do what their branches could not, bring life and joy and goodness to humankind long after their deaths. My giants inspire me to think of my own legacy. When I'm gone to the great mulching facility in the sky, how will I want what I did in my threescore years and ten? How will it bless my children and maybe their children? How will my words, my actions, my prayers, my presence for the, the fleeting moment that was my life on earth teach, encourage, inspire the communities I dwelt in, the parishes I served in, the world I missioned in? But we are not hemlocks, according to the poet Dreamer in Psalm 1. They are fruitless. Their gift to mankind only occurs in their legacy when they're gone. No, we are those olive trees. The trees whose leaves do not wither and who bear fruit in season. What a privilege to be nurtured and cultivated by God. To be a source of beauty and significance and fruit. Now the fruits of a tree, of course, is not for the tree's own benefit. Trees don't eat their own fruit. The fruit is for others. For birds and animals and, yes, humans. Our fruit, the good things that God grows in us, they aren't for ours, for us alone to enjoy. They're for us to give to other people. Those beautiful acts that God grows in you, love, joy, Peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are meant for our friends to enjoy. Our families, our clients, our colleagues, acquaintances and neighbours. They are the people who will eat your fruit. (laughs) They will sample your patience. They will taste your kindness. They will feast on your goodness and they will see God in you. They will, as another psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But this God of mysteries and miracles has one more for our delight. When a tree yields its fruit and gives it to creation, it comes back to it. An apple falls to the ground. An opportunistic deer eats it. It wanders to a new grazing land, does what comes naturally, and the apple seed is planted in a new incubator where it takes root and in the silence and the dark begins a new life and an apple tree is formed. It's a law of nature. As we give, so we receive. The tree receives the thrill of giving and then in a roundabout way receiving as the species is advanced. This is the law not just of fruit trees but of all life including humans. In sowing we reap, in giving we receive. So when you allow those you live with and among to taste your fruit, your peace, your patience, your faithfulness, your gentleness, you will enjoy beautiful returns. We won't be twinned with the moon, but with heaven. Amen.